Morning Church. Wow. So that was the first time I heard that song this morning, and uh, that's really powerful. Amen. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Amen. All right. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to be, um, we're trying to be like Jesus, amen? Right? Okay. Trying. Amen. Making the attempt by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will succeed. Amen? Cool. So let's all stand together. We're going to read uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, um, uh, verses 16 and 17. And um, let's begin. Ready? All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's read it one more time. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have given us your word. Your word is alive and active. It is breathed by you. Amen. It's useful for teaching us, rebuking us, correcting and training in righteousness. Lord, teach us. Lord, rebuke us, correct us, train us in righteousness so that we, your servants, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, John, I'm sorry about this. We're going to go to Revelation chapter 3 for just a second. Uh, In that scripture we just looked at, it talks about being rebuked. So I thought, hey, it actually just came to me as we're talking about the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Let's listen to Jesus rebuke us. Amen? So, all right. Here's here's a word of rebuke. And the reason I want to look at that is to see the motivation behind the rebuke. And perhaps for us to also be rebuked, it's okay. Um... That's what part of the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God is about is he's willing to rebuke us, right? So here we are. This is uh, Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, this is Jesus speaking to the leader of the church in Laodicea, and uh, since we are members of the church, probably good for us to listen in. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. 
I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they will eat with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay. Ouch, right? Let's pray. (laughs) Lord, here we are. Your word says... You've given your word to rebuke us, to correct us, to teach us and train us, but to rebuke us. This morning, Lord, I just want to look at, spend a little time looking at that rebuke, what it means, where it comes from, and why it's so important for us. And so help us this day in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, The story is told of David Livingston. I don't know if you know who he was. He was the great missionary to Africa. A lot of people know about him. Loved uh, African people so much that while his body is in Westminster Abbey, his heart was buried in, in Africa. Now, David Livingston came from a tradition, and his father in law one time was coming into a tribal area from the south of Africa, moving north. And he was greeted um, uh, by a chief with like, I can't remember how many, 40 warriors, all with their spears pointed at him as he, as he came out and, um, and he was met there. The chief of the tribe spoke to this man and said, you, head back. We don't want you here. And David Livingston's father-in-law ripped open his chest or open his shirt and said, "You can spear me if you want to, but I am here by God's appointment to bring you a message. I'm not going back." The chief turned to his warriors and said, "We will listen to this man." <laughs> Amen. We will listen to this man. Now, how about us? Jesus Christ We know the story well, don't we? He bore in his body all of the suffering and all of our sins. It was all pictured with uh, piercing his hands, his feet, crown of thorns. Okay? So if somebody comes to us and rebukes us who has died for us, we will listen to this man. Amen? We will listen to this man. Now, in this particular passage here, uh, Jesus rebukes a church that feels that it has arrived. Yeah? Okay, and they say things like, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I do not need anything. Okay, and that is the problem for many of us in America, even here in Hawaii. We can get to the place where we say, you know what? I've got it. I don't need anything. And Jesus comes with this rebuke. He says, you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now, brothers and sisters, I come to you today, and the reason 
I've changed kind of my message from where I was because a sister approached me and Judy afterwards and said, you know, I, I hear this thing in my head. You know, I'm messing up. Why am I doing that? And I think what's happened to us is we no longer hear the rebuke of God. We don't know how to handle it any longer. This is the place where saints of old used to live. They would live in the rebuke of God. Not because they were uh, masochistic, not because they wanted to feel bad about themselves, is because they knew that the place or the person that brought it died for them. Loved them so much that he was willing to give up his life. So when he rebukes us, he's doing it with that overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love. Amen? He's doing it for our good. He's doing it to help us. Amen? And the problem is what's happened to us. I mean... And, and it's happened to me. So I've gotten so used to hearing about God's love for me, love, and, I, and I continue on in my error and my sin. Amen? And I don't know how to handle the rebuke anymore. And so when the sister came to me, it was real interesting. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't ha- really have time to think about it. But the person is, the thing is that if Jesus is rebuking us, then we just need to go back to him. It's not, it's not difficult. It's not horrible. It's actually a good thing. He's saying, you're leaving me. You're walking away from me. You're not obeying me. And this is creating problems between you and me. And in this case, the church had gotten so out of touch that they had lost their own spiritual discernment. They no longer saw their spiritual state And so Jesus has to come and give them this powerful message, rebuking message. But don't miss this part in uh, Revelation 3.19. Those whom I love, I rebuke in discipline. Amen? If Jesus is rebuking you, it's not because he hates you. It's because he loves you. And he's done too much work, and he has... He has so many good things for you. He doesn't want you to miss it. Amen? And we, me, get so comfortable in stuff that, okay, I'm doing good. I'm really doing fine, you know? And it's kind of the life has gone out, you know? The light has gone out. It's really, really sad. Here I am, Jesus says. I stand at the door, and I'm knocking. If you hear my voice and open up the door, I will come in and do what? Oh, he's going to yell at me. No. He's not going to yell at you. He's going to sit down and eat with you. Yeah. And you get to eat with me. Isn't that what we want? Yeah, we've walked away, some of us. So this morning as we get into the Word of God, I just... I mean, I really felt compelled. If I could talk to that sister now, and uh, I would say, you know what? If he's rebuking it, it means he loves you. If he's rebuking you, he's got something better for you. You're settling for something that's less than his best for you.
okay? And we should be used to that. We should be able to receive that. That is the way that the saints of old used to live. It's like they weren't content to just hear nice things about God. They wanted God to deal, do real work in their lives. Tear down. I like that. That whole song was really great. He'll kick it down. Tear it down, right? Because it's between you and him, and he doesn't want anything between you and him. He wants you to sit down and eat with him and talk about what's going on and tell him your pain and your problems and your sins and your, and your lack of faith and all the things because he's the answer to all of that. Amen? Amen. Let us not run away from the rebuke of God. We understand the world doesn't want to hear it. I get it. But that's because they, for, they don't know or they haven't experienced that overwhelming, never-ending, ending, restless love of God. But we have. So we need to be ready. Amen? Okay, let's move on. All right, that's not everything. Good. All right. John chapter 1. We're talking about the word. Jesus was a man of the word. And it's kind of crazy because of what we're about to read here in John chapter 1, starting at verse 1. And it says, In the beginning was the word. Okay. And the word was with God. Yes. The crazy stuff is the word was God. Wow. Now, brothers and sisters, when we hold up this book, it's pages, yeah, I know. Right? You know, it's words. We see words every day. But there's something about this book that is very different from any other book that's out there. People in China during great persecutions have torn out pages of the book just so that they could hold on to that one little passage that it might sustain them because the Word is God. It's not just words on a page. It's the voice of God. Amen? And it speaks to our hearts. And God speaking to you is huge. If you haven't heard God for a long time, I remember a time years, years ago, I was on a trip uh, to Ireland, and uh, my parents, uh, both from Ireland, and I was on to uh, Ireland and Europe, and that time I was very zealous, and so I brought several Bibles with me, and of course, you know, if you've got something really, really good, you kind of share it with people. So I'd be talking about my faith and stuff like that, and I kept leaving it. So by the time I was uh, on the, the tour bus in, um, in Italy, I had given away all my Bibles, and now I had no Bible, and it was bugging me. And so, uh, and the people around me, I, they kind of knew kind of where I was coming from. So somebody found, it was really interesting, a tiny little King James. And I have to say, I just didn't really like the King James because I didn't understand what it was saying. But I was so, I mean, I didn't like the way it said it. I shouldn't say it. I like, you know, you get what I'm saying, right? So anyway, uh, so somebody handed me this King James Bible. And you know what? Water, even if it comes from sulfur wells and stuff like that, tastes good when you're really thirsty. 
And that was what this was like. It was so amazing to actually have the word again in my hand. And even though I didn't like the King James, I loved that little Bible for the rest of my, my time, and I didn't give it away. Nobody else wanted it. In fact, they said, it was so funny, they said, anybody want this? And they just walked up to me, John, you want this. Okay, so, all right. Well, great. I mean, it kind of showed you where I was at the time in my life. The word is God. And to hear the voice of God is an amazing, amazing thing. Amen? Verse 14. But God didn't just give us a book, guys, which is really cool. Verse 14. The Word became flesh. Woo! Yes, right. The Word became flesh and lived among us. So he had a little, it's, the Greek means he, he pitched a tent. He got into the tent. He went camping with us. Yeah. He camped out with us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That is a powerful deal. Listen, God could have sent us a book. In fact, I was at Denver, uh, Denver Seminary, and one of the teachers got up and he said, Hey, God gave you a book. All right? And I thought, cool. He says, He didn't give you a TV. Okay. And uh, he went on and on and on about we're supposed to be people of book. But I thought to myself, you know, I don't think that quite does it. Because God didn't give us a book. He gave us his son. Amen? He gave us a person who pitched his tent and camped out with us for 30-some-odd years, walked with us, lived with us, died because of us. That's what it means, the word means. So you see Jesus exhausted in his ministry. He, now listen, Jesus is God, right? Yeah? But the thing is that he needs God so much that even in his exhaustion, after a complete day of doing ministry, he will still go and spend all night with his father. Think about that. Because that's how desperate he is to hear God's word. Now, if that's Jesus, what about us, right? If Jesus needs that that bad, I guess, I guess, I guess, I need it too, huh? Amen? And the word he gives us is full of grace and truth. That's what I really like. There's a, there's a passage a little bit later, you know, or in the middle there, it says, uh, the law came through Moses, okay, but grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. And until you have the law and grace and truth, you really don't have the whole word. Amazing stuff. I mean, you can read the law and find grace and truth there. In fact, Jesus will say, all of that Old Testament, that's all about me. I am the fulfillment of that. That's a, by the way, that is a, just an amazing word when he says that. That's... Um, in case you don't know, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. He says, don't think I've come to destroy the, the law and the prophets. I didn't come to destroy them. Because some people think, well, I don't follow this more, and I, I don't, read the, I don't uh, dress that way, and I can plant uh, uh, similar crops in the same field, and I can wear clothing made of different stuff. So I guess this doesn't apply to me. No, 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 no. All the things that that was teaching is found in Jesus. 
And so we who are people of the New Testament, the New Covenant, we do not neglect the old. We learn the lessons in every single word. Jesus said every stroke of the pen is still applicable to us, but seen now through his grace and truth. Okay? So we may we read the Old Testament, but in a different way than people who don't know Jesus. But it makes it come alive. We see him emerging in those pages. So the word fulfillment is really cool. You know, there, some of us are old enough to remember Jean Dixon. Some people remember Jean Dixon. She would make predictions. She called them prophecies. But they're not prophecies. They're little statements about some things will happen and, you know, Uh, Not very uh, accurate, really. A few things came up. Well, hey, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day. Um, But the fact is that that's not what fulfillment is. Fulfillment is beyond that, is there is a promise being made in all of these passages of Scripture. Sure, some things predict where Jesus will be born in Bethlehem, but there's so much more. There's a promise of a brand new covenant. Jesus says, I am the brand new covenant. There is the Passover, and Jesus says, I am the Passover. Everything that the Passover represents, I fulfill that. So we who are new covenant, New Testament people, we need to learn that Old Testament because it is telling us who our Jesus is. So every day, Time spent in the Word is really critical. And it's easy, I know. Sometimes you get lost in the book of Numbers, right? Who cares whose son that was? God cares. God cares. And just like he cared to make sure that name is written down, dude, your name is written down in his book. And that just shows you who he is. When no one else remembers who you are, Jesus knows you. Amen? Amen. Huge. Okay, John chapter 5. How long do we got here today? You don't need to eat dinner tonight, do you? All right. John chapter 5, starting about 31. Um, I'll kind of shorten it up a little bit. I went too long this morning when I went was on this passage. Anyway, uh, Jesus having a dispute with the religious leaders from his culture at that time. And uh, there's big back and forth and stuff like that. And, um, and he makes this statement. Um, verse 39. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. Now, we would agree with that statement. I mean, reading the Old Testament, that in there is eternal life. That's true. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I'll just read it again. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you you refuse to come to me to have life. This week, um, two major personalities uh, committed suicide. And, um, you know, again, I'm in, I am not qualified to make any judgment. I don't know what happened. I mean, and, you know, people will say all these things and everything. But here's the, de- here's the deal. 
Jesus came to us, to all people, to give them life. If you find that you are in death, whatever that means, death has many, many forms, but if you find that you are in death, there is one solution. You go to Jesus because he is life. And the way you find Jesus is in his word. Amen? There are many books, but nothing like this book. Because this book is not just words. It's the very breath of God. We read that, right? All scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired. It means God breathed into that word. So when you pick it up, God is speaking out to you. Powerful. And you will find, as you get deeper into it, it speaks freshly every day. The crazy thing is, here I am. I've been doing this um, 40 years, I think, something like that. I, I, you know, I had this encounter with Jesus back in 1980, I think. 79, 80, somewhere in there, February of 1980, where I was, a, I mean, and well, I could go into that. That would take all day, but um, I'll spare you. But it was about a six-month six period where I said, I don't believe in God anymore. And part of it was because I didn't believe I had any relationship with him. And whatever Christianity was, well, uh, I didn't have the goods, and I recognized it. And I just said, from this moment on, I operate as if there is no God. And uh, uh, so my friends would say, well, you, you know, casual conversation, well, you believe in God. No, I don't believe in God. Well, I think what I was really trying to say, and I thank God that he heard it like this, is show me that it's real. Show me that you are real. I am tired of pretending to be something that I'm really not. And he did. So for 40 years now, I've been reading the same book. You'd think, haven't you gotten to the end of it yet, dude? Yeah, many times. Many times. And each time, it's so weird. I read another passage. I said, I thought I read this before, but this is saying something I never heard of. You know, of course, there's little details that you miss, right? Because I'm, I'm the kind of guy, when I read a book, uh, Judy's not like this. You know, she hates it. But I read to the end. I want to know what the end is. Why? Because it takes the pressure. Now I can read it a little. Uh, I can, now I know how it ends. Okay. How do we get there? Okay. So, but I, I like, I tend to skim. I don't know about you. I pass over things, important things, and I miss stuff. So anyway, here it is. Jesus is the one who gives us life. John chapter 8, verse 31. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold on to my teaching, you really are my disciples then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Oh, that's powerful, huh? And they said, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. (laughs) Egypt, Babylon, slavery to sin. Some of you actually were slaves. Short memory, right? Just kind of like the Laodicean church. Short memory. Hey, I've got everything I need. Ah. Jesus said, no, you don't, dude. You're missing it all. You don't have me right now. You've walked away from me. This isn't isn't good. 
Wow, that's what can happen to us. We've never been a slave to anyone. How can you say we'll be set free? Verse 34, Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. That means every human being in this room right now, including me, maybe especially me, we are slaves. Yeah? Amen? Now, you say, well, I'm not sinning like that anymore. Great. Hey, you know what? I Amen to that. I believe in growth. But let's be honest. We were slaves, yeah? Some of us still are slaves. And some of us that think we're not slaves now, in a few days from now, you'll go, whoa, what? how did that happen in my life? Right? Well, that's the, that's the reason. So, uh, if, you're a sl- if you're sinning, you are a slave. That's the way it goes. Now, a slave, Jesus says, verse 35, has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. <clears throat> so, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What's Jesus saying? Well, I would, I would suspect that there's nobody here who has lived as a slave any time in their life I certainly hope not. None of you have been slaves. There are, throughout the world right now, millions of people who actually now, right now, live in slavery. We call it human trafficking now, but it's slavery. That's what it's about. Okay, so none of us have been there. But here's the fact. In Jesus' day, Roman people had slaves. It's how they ran their world. Their world was made up of slaves. And those slaves had no permanent place. They didn't belong. They didn't get money. They got nothing. They got maybe a place to sleep, maybe some food. But their life was always on the edge. You never knew. If you displeased the master, you were out. And you had no voice. There was no court. No one stood up to defend you. You were on your own. That's what it meant to be a slave. You were on your own and you had no power. Now, for some of us, we know what that means spiritually. Jesus, though, says, but a son belongs in the family forever. There's very little a son could do to get disestablished from his family, to get kicked out. It's possible, but it rarely, rarely happened. And then he makes this statement. So if the son sets you free, You are truly free. What's that mean? Jesus is saying, you're a slave to sin, every one of you, okay? But I want to go through all the process that it will take to get you into my family. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God, yeah? I am willing to let myself be nailed to a tree. I am willing to take a crown of thorns. I am willing to take all your sin upon me because I want you in my family. Amen? I want you to be my brother. I want you to be my sister. Guys, we should listen to that man, yeah? We should listen to him. So if he tells us, We're a slave to sin. Why fight it? He's going to set us free, right? Everybody wants that, I think. I guess some people want to do it on their own, but here's it. I'm I'm tired of doing it on my own. 
In fact, I tried. I wasn't very successful. How about you? Try to do it on your own, but you weren't too successful. Are you ready? Okay. But I've been a Christian all my life. You know what? Don't let that stop you from being free. You know, it seems funny to say that, but what can happen is, I am a Christian. I've gone to church. Uh, you know, I, I saw a thing in, uh, we're watching The Hiding Place about Corey ten Boom. And, uh, uh, and Casper ten Boom, Corey's father, these are the folks who hid Jewish people during the Holocaust and then were uh, uh, sent to the uh, death camps. We back? Oh, we are. Okay. <clears throat> he says, you know, just because a squirrel gets in a cookie jar doesn't make him a squirrel. Just because you're in this room doesn't make you a Christian, doesn't make you a follower. It's very possible you could be here today and never have placed your faith in Jesus. And Jesus says, I want you to be my brother. I want you to be my sister. I have paid all the price there is nothing for you to do but surrender your life to me. Amen? I want you to be free. And you can't really know what freedom is until you're actually living in freedom, you know? It's like it's something out there, something that you've heard about. Jesus says, I want you to know it. It's a good thing. So good, I'm willing to die so that you can experience that freedom. Amen. Mahalo, Jesus. Chapter 20 of John. Um, verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. And that's true. I mean, God has done many, many, many things that aren't in the book. Okay? So, the book is filled with stuff, but not it's not filled with everything. We look at life through the filter of the book. It teaches us. That was the problem for the Jewish people of Jesus' day. They thought they knew God, but when God in the form of Jesus came down, they rejected him because they missed it. So even though they had followed all of the laws, they missed the whole point of the law, which was to put your faith in Jesus. So this book is written, the Gospel of John and the book, the Bible. It is written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I said it earlier, death comes in many, many forms. You can be a Christian, I mean, a faithful Christian, and yet there can be death in your life. You can be outside of the faith, living a, living a life that's successful by all measures, and yet be in death and know it. You know, there's, there's got to be more to this life than what I'm experiencing, right? S statement like that. For some of us, we've been in Christianity for so long, it's kind of like, well, there, is, is this it? Whatever that it is, Jesus calls you 
for life. So my, that sister who came to me, I'm being rebuked about stuff. Again, if I could say something to her, just go to Jesus. Find out what it is. If you have to, re- if you have to listen to the rebuke a hundred times, it's okay. Remember the woman who had the demon-possessed daughter? Yeah. And uh, Jesus said some incredibly harsh things to her. Um, she, her daughter is uh, demon-possessed. It's driving her nuts. The, the girl is uh, out of her mind. The, the mother doesn't know what to do. She approaches him. Says, Lord, have mercy on me. And he says, it is not right to take the children's bread and feed it to their dogs. He just called her a dog. Now, what he was doing is echoing the Jewish thinking of this time because this woman, she was a Gentile outside of the covenants of Israel. And then she says to Jesus, that's true, Lord, but even dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And he says to her, you know, Jesus knows a lot of stuff, so I don't think any of this was a surprise to him. He says to her, woman, you have great faith. Okay, your daughter is healed from this very hour. See, I'm telling you, he is the answer. How he'll work it, I do not know. I really, I, I just don't know what he'll do. All I know is that he can and he will. So what are we waiting for? What am I waiting for, right? We're waiting to go to him. That is the answer. And we find him in this book. And guys, there are very few of us who go days and days and days and days without eating. Even fewer of us that go without drinking. How is it possible that we can live our lives and day after day after day neglect meeting hearing his voice, but we do it because I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need anything. Jesus says, listen, without me, you are wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. And those I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you this day. Some of us already acknowledge it, like the sister this morning, who is burdened by the rebukes that she's been feeling in her spirit, didn't know what to do, and I pray for her right now, or that she might know that you love her with an everlasting love. Those rebukes are not because you are her enemy, but it's because you are her friend. You have so much more for her. Same thing as you have so much more for us. You want us to hear your voice. And we are such a privileged people. Thousands, millions of people have died so that we might hold this book in our hand or in our phone for crying out loud. All we have to do is open it, put our eyes on that page, and let you speak to us. Father, I just pray for every person here in this room 
some of us are here and we are in death. There is death at work. And you are the God who gives us life and you speak life to us through your word. Some of us, myself included, we have been neglecting your word. And so, Lord, we receive the rebuke. We receive that rebuke and we say, Lord Jesus, we commit ourselves to your word. Lord, some of us are outside of the kingdom of God this day. And you say, I died for you. I love you. I will train you. I will correct you. I will teach you. And yes, I will rebuke you because I love you. Be earnest and repent. Lord, wherever we are this day, we come before you. As the band is singing and wherever you are, take this time to reach out to Jesus who gave his life for you. You should listen to him. Amen. Thank you.